Hey everyone, it is 2014, and I decided to say we needed to make changes in 2014. Things were too comfortable in 2013, so I got rid of Alex Navarro. I got rid of the Wolf. We're still going to call it Scoops and the Wolf because it's an important brand to Giant Bomb. We have to get behind the brand, uh, but we have to introduce new Wolves. Wolves? Wolves? Throughout 2014, and the first tryout is going to, I get this call every day, designer David Escalant. Thank you for uh, trying out to be the Wolf, David. Yeah, I I'm more like a like a wolf puppy. Okay. It yeah no I, actually no because that implies cuteness. What's I don't know like a wolf alpaca. Okay. All right. Hey, you know what? That's you. This is this is free form. You know this is you you can you can be whatever you want to be. You know brands can be tweaked. You know there are you you can you can change the name a little bit. But you know you kind of got to be in the same ballpark. But uh, in all seriousness, Alex uh, was in China. With his girlfriend for, for not insubstantial amount of time, um, and he is still adjusting back to the time change. So he decided to take uh, some time off this week. He'll be back on Monday um, with a regular scoops in the wolf. But you know, we decided to switch things up, make the guest show on Friday. Uh, and David, you're a designer of. I get this call every day. You know, we we chatted. I wrote a story about you on the site mm -hmm. uh, some months back. How how long ago was that? Now I feel like that was probably a more than a year almost a year ago okay yeah I, I mean i think that was like february maybe even as late as march um but it was definitely in the aftermath of me being fired for making the game which definitely happened in late january so the game's over a year old now we're coming up on the year anniversary of my termination uh still unemployed still <laughs> scraping by uh you know the money from the sales of the game is definitely run dry uh so Things are awkward, <laughs> but you you know you you know if you follow uh, your you on Twitter like you're still you're very active in the community. You're out there doing what you can with the game. What was the you set up? Oh man, I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now. But you were like games are glorious. No, you have that. Well, but the um you were selling little you 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 were selling like stuff in real life for the game. You had set up like a little table. Oh yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Actually, hold on one second. Watch the camera. I'm actually using a whole stack of these to prop up my computer. <laughs> See, I knew I wasn't crazy. Um, it's, uh, I get this call every day, the Pack Up Your Things edition, which is the physical copy of the game. These were for events uh, that happened in Toronto called Bit Bizarre. Uh, so they have a, a code for the game on the back, which I'll not show on camera. And they come with this little zine. And they're in DVD cases, but no disc, because these are the cheapest solutions I can find. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, this this wonderful box art with quotes from people who liked the game and people who hated the game, including uh, former National Revenue Minister Gail Shea. What are who, what are some what are the the quotes you chose for people that hated the game? Were those all like people in the in, in the uh, sort of the government establishment, or are you like actually plucking folks that that played the game as well? Well. I don't know if these folks actually played the game. Most th There's three quotes. Two of them I mined from Greenlight because if you want someone to say bad things about your game, just put it up on Greenlight, guaranteed. Uh, you know, w whether it's true or not, you will get um, negative feedback. I feel like Greenlight, Greenlight is the equivalent, like for me, uh, what YouTube is. Like if I want to feel bad about myself, uh, I go and read comments about stuff I've made on YouTube. And it's just like, oh, right, 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 right. People hate me. 
right people hate me like that's like a yeah, good yeah. it's a good place to go to sort of reset your expectations about yourself that's pretty accurate except you know like at least with youtube you have the potential of making money depending on the content you're making uh green light doesn't drive any direct revenue to you uh, so you can't even be happy that, hey, these people are commenting, but hey, at least they click through and, and I got an ad impression from it. You don't even get that from Greenlight. You know, they have the potential of voting no. They have the potential of leaving a negative comment. Anyway, so so this one is from Steam user Sergio. Games that look like this should never be allowed to exist, never mind sold. Oh, I thought that was pretty profound, you know, like he's, he's putting his foot down that I get this call every day should not even exist. Not even that it's a bad game, but that its existence is somehow, um, you know, a blight on humanity. Um, why? This is perfect for the do not ever start making games for any reason portfolio. That's from Steam user Kana. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I have reams of these comments actually, uh. I'm not sure if you're aware, but I I was up on Greenlight shortly after I released the game in May, uh, after the whole thing with Paranautical Activity happened. Mm -hmm. I took the page down, uh, mostly, you know, a lot of frustrations. I wrote an article on Gamma Sutra about it. And uh, then, you know, when Steam started greenlighting massive swaths of games at once, and, and especially looking at games that had about the same votes that I get this call every day did the first time around and we're getting greenlit. I realized like money's really tight. Getting this game on Steam would definitely help. Just set aside your issues with green light and put it back on there. So I get this call every day is now back on uh, on green light, starting fresh, unfortunately, because I fully deleted the page. So it's trying to claw its way back up. Um, but I saved all the comments from the first time around. And um, there, there's some doozies in there. I, it's in a spreadsheet that I'd have to pull back up. But uh. it seems like you, you know, may potentially be in a in a better spot, uh, depending on what happens as a result of you know Zoe Quinn's. Uh, well, you know, she was just one part of that. She wasn't the sole developer. Um, yep. But you know, Zoe Quinn is sort of the public face of that game of Depression Quest. You know, which <laughs> is a. <laughs> About as a traditional of a game as you would expect to find on a service like Steam, which I think is a detriment to Steam as a service, and I think it is important that uh, Valve plucks that out of. You know, obviously they had done the hard work. You know, they have been on Greenlight long before uh, it became sort of a flashpoint of controversy, um, to use sort mm -hmm. of a, a tired phrase. But uh, it 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 potentially leads the way. To, to more games, more diverse types of games to be on that service. And, you know, this is something that I, I, for the kinds of games I'm interested in, which are these types of games, the types of games you make, type of games that Zoe makes, um, the way that people feel threatened by them, I always find is very interesting. And I think a lot of that comes from a slightly misguided place. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of built-in hostility there because the internet ramps things up in, in, in a way that doesn't happen in real life and is not necessarily mm -hmm. a true expression of people's feelings, but they do it to be heard and doesn't make it okay. But, you know, it's, it's just sort of a reality that we currently have to, to deal with. And I think a lot of the anxiety for folks like that that express those views, and this obviously isn't a lot of them, but this is my gut feeling on where it's coming from, is this this feeling that if if these types of games that they are not personally interested in, which is fine, you don't have to be interested in these games. 
is that if, if these games are celebrated and become successes, it will be to the detriment of the games that they like to play, the reasons they got into games. And if you take away all of the vitriol involved with a lot of the commentary, I can, on some level, sympathize with that argument. The idea being that if you got into a medium for one reason, you like to see more of those things, or you like to see those things uh, extended. And the idea that something else would come in and push those out uh, would, you know, I can see why that would cause you anxiety, except that I just think it's really misplaced anxiety and that none of these games are going to take away from the games that you want because that's that just is not a realistic scenario. Gone Home, Depression Gosh. Quest, I get this call every day. None of these games are going to stop uh, any other, you know, a new Mario game from being made or a new Call of Duty from being made uh, or any of yeah, those number types of games. We're, we're not going to see the, the next Call of Duty, you know, take the form of a text adventure about, you know, a queer trans couple. Um, <laughs> like, but if Activision sure. wants to try and if Bobby Kotick wants to write it, I would hey, play that I game. Would s I'd probably celebrate it depending on how it was pulled <laughs> off. Like, it'd be a really interesting direction for them to go. But, you know, we're probably not going to see that. I mean, if for crying out loud, Depression Quest is 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 free to play in the sense that it is literally free to play it. Mm -hmm. And if you want to donate, you can. Um, actually, I don't know if you're familiar with the Game Police Twitter account. I am. Um, I, uh, I, I recently yeah. started following them. I highly recommend that folks follow. Is it just at Game Police? The Game Police. They, the uh, Game Police. It does a really good job of just creating uh, really biting and sincere parody of a lot of the nonsense that we're, we're alluding to. Mm -hmm. And and they had a tirade earlier this morning about uh, how, how do I get the uncrossed options in Depression Quest to go? Is that going to be future DLC? How much is this DLC going to cost? Uh, Zoe Quinn, please tell us what are your DLC plans for these crossed off options in Depression Quest? And yeah, I found that quite amusing. Um, so are you, you know, you, you can probably, you know, have a little bit of time on your hands. Are you playing any games right now? Like, is that, is there yeah. anything in 2014 that is, is catching your interest? I, I recently got a 2DS and, uh, on, on recommendation from, uh, uh, Sean Alexander Allen, uh, I picked up Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon and having a That's blast a with that. Yeah. I, I was surprised. I, I never played original Luigi's Mansion on GameCube. Um, having a lot of fun with that. Plus, I mean, the main reason why I got the 2DS is to play the older Zelda games. Uh, and I beat Link's Awakening for the first time, which that's that's a really good Zelda game. Like, I don't think people give it enough credit. I mean, for crying out loud, the whole thing is a dream. And the game essentially tells you that by completing this quest, you're going to end this world. It's dark. It's yeah, it it it. I, I like it. I mean, you don't get that kind of sort of gray zone in other Zelda games. It's always, you know, you're doing the right thing and the, the bad guys are always bad. You know, you don't, I don't know. It was cool. Uh, so I've got Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons to get to next. But um, are you, are you, yeah, big, are you a that, big Zelda guy? Is that is that a franchise that you, you have followed pretty closely? It, for the most part, I mean, like, uh, you know, back I never had, really had access to an NES when I was younger. Um when I would visit family, usually one of them had an NES and uh, it was one set of cousins in Quebec that I had, uh, you know, they had Zelda one and Zelda two. And so we'd always, you know, throw that in and, and play that. And so I never got to play that regularly, but it was always this great event to go and, 
and you know try and do something in Zelda 2 even though I had no idea what the hell w- was really going on in sort of like the overall game perspective just hey overworld now I'm fighting stuff and I suck oh I died again just keep going and um, but at one point you know Link to the Past just really clicked with me and I've I must have played through that game like three four times now it the other Zeldas, like Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask... I really love Majora's Mask, but... I was going to say, I, you know, I could just drop that. you from this call right now, depending on uh, what your opinion <laughs> of Majora's Mask is. So, tread lightly, I, uh, David. Tread lightly. No, Majora's Mask is great. I mean, it, it's speaking Good of answer. Dark Zeldas, like, that's... that's Patrick, I'm not just doing this to please you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are, it's totally okay. I'm not... not gonna. Not uh, true tragedy it. right now is that... My only copy of Majora's Mask is on that GameCube collection disc. Right. And it, it, it's it got this... I don't know how, but somehow my GameCube case got a whole bunch of dirt in it. And now the disc is scratched. Uh. And now the game just, like, goes black at a certain point. And I hope they do a 3DS re-release. I really do. Sounds like sounds like, like they're going to. There are uh, some uh, very deliberate <clears throat> hints in uh, A Link Between Worlds um, that uh, pointed to... Uh, the fact that Majora's Mask is not a game that's been forgotten, and it, I think it makes a lot of sense. They did a you know a 3DS update to uh, Ocarina of Time, uh, which mm-hmm. is you know pretty, and they did one for Wind Waker. Like, it seems like they're making a pattern of revisiting the old Zelda games, and uh, I doubt that they will do to Majora's Mask what they did to Wind Waker, which you know in Wind Waker they actually went and not fundamentally, but they tweaked the mechanics, tweaked parts of the game uh, to make it a little more palatable. Uh, I'd be mm-hmm. surprised if they did that for Majora's Mask, but also wouldn't be surprised if they did that for Majora's Mask because the way that you handle time manipulation in Majora's Mask is kind of, well, it's the reason I love the game, but it's also the reason people hate the game because, yeah. uh, you know, Zelda games have traditionally been about exploration. Uh, a big world, poke at it, prod at it, figure out its secrets, come back with new items, figure out new parts of those secrets. And Majora's Mask retains those elements but with the added stress of the fact that there is a time constraint. Now, that time constraint disappears once you have enough spells to manipulate time, uh, and you can kind, you can slow <laughs> it down, and you can play the game at more or less a normal Zelda pace. Um, but especially in the early goings, before you have the ability to manipulate time in that fashion, I, w- I do wonder if they would, they would touch the game in a way to make that a little more palatable, uh, to an audience, uh, especially because anyone that's pl- maybe just played the modern Zelda game, especially the 3D ones, like Majora's Mask is just such a left turn uh, in terms mm-hmm. of design and approach, um, which again is sort of why I love it. And the fact that people hate it is just also another reason why I love it because it subverts your expectations, I think, in a really uh, pleasing way. Uh, but the fact that it alienates some of the audience, I think, is how many times can you say a major. Uh, company-defining franchise makes design pivots that piss off a bunch of its audience. Like, that never <laughs> happens. And so the fact that yeah. the Zelda series did that at least once, I think is not, you know, whether you like it or not, is extremely commendable because that's just mm-hmm. not what you do when you're playing around with a formula that people really like. Especially the way they do it. I mean, it, it's it's a way that sort of inspires a lot of frustration because it it forces a fair amount of repetition uh, like the fact that, you know, you, you sort of have to I haven't really finished the game before, but I, I get the impression that at one point you're going to have to do a run where you just go through all the bosses one after the other, after the other, after the other in a single day to try and get through to the end game. And and like that's that's a fair amount of 
frustration through repetition. It's something I can relate to. I mean, I mean, the whole game based around frustration where that's that's intrinsic to the mechanic. You know, the point is to be frustrated. And I kind of wonder if if that's something that was sort of on the designers minds when they were making Majora's Mask. Like it's part of that theme, that repetition, that that constant repeating, that wearing down of having to go through the same events again and again and again. Um, you know, it, it's a dark game. It's very gloomy. It's it it's almost nihilistic in the fact that, you know, you, you have to keep repeating the same events and not really making the same kind of progress you would in a Zelda game. Yeah, I, I actually think it's a in some ways a, a pretty deep reflection of uh, the development uh, history of that game. If you, if you go and read uh, some interviews about it, uh, the reason Majora's Mask was created was uh, Eiji Onuma, who sort of like shepherds that franchise now as a producer over at Nintendo. Um, Majora's Mask was the first game that Miyamoto told him, like, hey, kind of kind of go make your own Zelda game. And he said, go make it in a year. Um, and that's a that's an incredible deadline. Lots of lots of old, uh, you know, NES, SNES, like 8-bit, 16-bit era games, like a year, you know, games like Final Fantasy 3 slash 6, which is an incredibly ambitious, huge RPG. Those were made in uh, about a year to 18 months. But, you know, games wow. in, in 3D, a game like Majora's Mask, it wasn't actually made in a year. I think they ended up getting, like, 18 months to, to develop it. But I, I, in some ways, look at that task of being told to make and design a Zelda game in a year seems reflected in the design, I think, pretty pretty substantially in, in, in a weird sort of way that you don't normally see games uh, reflect uh, their creation, although you certainly see that a little bit more, you know, in the independent space uh, when you have smaller teams mm. that that kind of pour a little bit more of their heart and soul into the design than than something that's meant to be a commercial product to appeal to a really broad audience. Hmm. Yeah, no. I'd... Why did you why... bring that up? I mean, it's n- never really knew that. Why did you Why did you buy a two DS? Was it purely a, a financial uh, thing, or did you have a, yeah. a, a a? Okay, I was gonna say, I was like, it doesn't seem like the one that would be top of mind uh for most folks if they if they were out to to buy a a 3ds but how do you like it considering you have it it's you know what the form factor is actually kind of nice um yeah i'm surprised because i never really had a 3ds before uh used one a couple times my eyes really can't handle the 3d effect in the first place so that's too bad i'm i'm kind of okay losing that i mean i understand there's going to be some games i just won't be able to appreciate the same way but uh you know it's better to to avoid the eye strain um you know the nice fat shoulder buttons are kind of nice especially in luigi's mansion when you're you know hauling on that vacuum all the time uh and the placement like it, it seems at first like it would be a little awkward but no it, it it's fine uh, the only problem is just it's bulky you know putting it in my pocket for street passing is is a little awkward so do you actually put it in a pocket or do you put it like in a backpack i I've got like a wide pocket on the front of my jacket, my my winter coat. Okay, so. I was gonna say, I was like, if you're putting these in your pants pocket, uh, maybe we got some other problems we need to talk about, David. <laughs> if you can fit a if you can fit a, a 2ds into your jeans, then 2014 I, needs some changes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, got a belly, but like, I'm not that. Big, <laughs> seriously, it's interesting. Oh. Yeah, I, I, it's. Uh, the, the 2DS was an interesting piece of hardware that came out that I, I feel like has not... I thought it would be a bigger deal than, than it kind of was, but I wonder if you know if Nintendo's plan there was purely to say, look, we're not going to promote this as though it's like a big new DS. It's more just like when they when you know a mom goes into a store and she goes to the, the video game aisle, 
she's probably going to be more inclined to purchase the cheapest option and they'll yeah. just get the 2DS instead of Nintendo having to go out and be like 2DS. It's just, you know, when you go there, you're going to try and buy the cheaper option if it plays the same games that you're going to have to buy. Exactly. I mean, the thing is pretty cheaply built to begin with. Like a lot of the the parts on it are plastic. Um, I know some people have had some theories about like the, the, the contiguous screen, like the fact that the top and bottom screens are technically the same screen. Right. You know, they're not two different ones. Um, but like, I'm pretty sure like they haven't really promoted it. And, you know, I see stuff like Best Buy's website, you know, they have like, here's the 3DS games. Here's DS and 2DS games. And, you know, you just kind of scratch your head at whether they understand the difference between 3DS and 2DS. Right. Um, so uh, most of it, I think, is just, hey, let's put a cheaper price point in the shelves for, for mom and pop and, and also give an option for the the people. I don't know how big the demographic is, but the people who look at that warning that says, you know, children under seven shouldn't use this and go, oh, I can't buy this for my four-year-old who wants to play Pokemon. Uh, yeah, I've been um, I've been deep into, so I, you know, it's early 2014, so, you know, games haven't, uh, in terms of, like, new games coming out, like, we're, it's in, in a bit of a slow period. It's about to kick in to a really high degree really fast. Ban- but ban- we just saw Chibi Robo. <laughs> You got a point. You know what? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't mean to offend all the Chibi Robo fans on Giant Bomb. I'm sure it has a huge contingent. Um, you know, like starting next week, we get Banner Saga. I think, I think Towerfall oh, yeah. comes out this month. Uh, a lot of other independent uh, games that. Yep, Nidhog comes out uh, next week. Like there's finally. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of games uh, coming out pretty soon. But in that meantime, mm-hmm. uh, I've been. So I, I read this article over on Polygon written by uh, Doug Wilson, the designer of Johann Sebastian Joust, uh, which mm-hmm. he broke down this really amazing moment in Spelunky. Uh, oh, the uh, eggplant run. Yeah, the, uh, to, be, to be specific, the solo eggplant run. Now, the eggplant oh, is right, a yeah. hidden item uh, that was – it's not in the database uh, of items that you can, you can pick up. Uh, it, the designers didn't really talk about it, um, but it is an item that wasn't really discovered until the PC release. And it's this item that you try and carry all the way to the end of the game and blah, 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 blah. There's no reason to get into necessarily the specifics, but it's a very difficult thing to pull off. And it was also designed to be pulled off with two people. Um, but there was a player that managed to do it by himself, which involves, like, deleting your saved game because hired hands in the game function a different way the second time you play the game than the first time. You know, exploiting tiny little glitches in the geometry uh, which the designers have since acknowledged they're not going to change because they feel they're part of the game as opposed to being a glitch. Um, and and kind of adding all those together with your traditional Spelunky skill set and, and accomplishing this really Herculean crazy task. And, and Doug wrote the article in such a way, and it's going to be highlighted and worth reading, which goes up in about an hour on the site, that it was incredibly compelling to someone that really has spent very little time with Spelunky at all. And... I was like, if that, if it can be that compelling just reading it, I want to know a little bit more of how it plays. And so while I've kind of had a little bit more free time over uh, the games that I play to try and kind of keep current, uh, I've been playing a lot of Splunky and, and Dark Souls on the side as well. And Splunky has just been such a satisfying experience. Like, it is, it is very pure. It is very difficult. It is very punishing. But it is also incredibly fair. And I think that's what makes the difference in, in games 
like Dark Souls games, like Spelunky, uh, they're going to be extremely punishing. They also need to be fair and have rule sets that are clearly defined so that mm-hmm. if the player is paying close enough attention, if the player is adhering to what the game is asking of them, uh, you know, in a very rigid fashion that is more in line with very old school arcade game design that was trying to punish you so that you could get another quarter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a different type of punishment. Um, but then you were rewarded because you were able to subvert it, or you were rewarded because you were able to see it coming and sidestep it. Uh, and that's what Splunky and Dark Souls both do incredibly well. And they're both just not the types of games that I, I, I tend to play. I don't necessarily go after, you know, quote-unquote casual experiences. I play all sorts of very traditional um video games but like Splunky doesn't have an end necessarily like there is an end like there is a boss that will have mm-hmm. credits roll but it's not really the end of the game like that's just like well you finish this part go do the other stuff um, yep. it's a game that can be played endlessly uh, whereas Dark Souls is very punishing but does at least have a you know an arc to it there, there is an end uh, to that game um, but it is incredibly punishing and it's just they're just both not games that I, I tend to spend my time with just because they're really hard, and so, <laughs> so I just tend to play story-based stuff, and, and story-based stuff tends to not uh-huh. be very difficult because uh, people that have written a story, they want you to see the story. Yeah, like, like narrative games are entirely focused on like, hey, let me let me go through this narrative with you, and I'm and I'm quite like you in that respect. I I as I get older, I find myself going towards more narrative experiences. It's actually kind of where I've always drifted, you know. When I played games in the past that were a bit more arcadey, usually I found more enjoyment in the manual, reading the, you know, whatever justification story they made up for the weird events that you're going through. Um, well, the thing I like about Spelunky is that its rules don't just apply to you. The rules are consistent to everything that you're encountering. So, you know, bat falls off a wall, tries to chase you, arrow trap's going to get it, you know, uh, bomb gets thrown out by an enemy they're going to blow themselves up you know it the rules for spelunky apply to everything so there's a consistency and you know when you approach a situation how a thing is going to work if you know the rules that are going to apply to that situation so i i I almost kind of think spelunky is like a reflex based puzzle game because you're yes it's about platforming but it's more about the decisions that you have to make yeah i I think platforming is just incidental uh, as opposed yeah, it's, to it's being, just a method of interaction. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. Not, it's not the skill. It, it's weird because when, when you making. when you watch the game or play the game for the first time, you, you're gonna give it. You're gonna think that this is just a punishing action game, and it is absolutely not. Like it is, you know, your reflexes can save you, but more than often than not, your reflexes are gonna screw you up. And if you don't <laughs> go into the situation knowing exactly what you need to accomplish, um, and it's usually pretty simple, or it's a series of simple steps. Uh, you're not going to get through it. Like, Spelunky is, you're totally right. It is misclassified as an action game. It is 100% a puzzle game that just happens to be, it's like a, it's a puzzle action hybrid. Like, it's got action elements to it as a means of interactivity, but it, it it's all about paying attention to the puzzle that is in front of you. Because if you can anticipate what's going to happen, the action part of it is sort of irrelevant because the action parts, you can screw them up, absolutely, and they lead to all sorts of unfortunate scenarios. You go up to whip a bat, and instead you run into the bat, and the bat knocks yep. you into the left, and then that happened to be next all to a pit of spikes. Time. And so there, there are moments where you screw up the reflexive part of Spelunky, and then it doesn't work out. But I, you know, the majority of that game is anticipation of 
the, the intricacies of the puzzle design, which are, you know, thus randomized and thus much more complex because you have to anticipate things that weren't there, you know, the last time around. And that's what the game punishes for you for over and over again is this idea yep. that, hey, you encountered this 10 runs ago. It's not my <laughs> fault you forgot. You should have brought, yep. you should have been throwing a rock ahead of you. I'm sorry that that arrow was on the other side of the map and you ran right into it, but you should have known it could have happened. And he totally should have. No, nothing in that game is, even when it's obtuse, uh, it becomes very clear once it occurs. And you, yep. there is also, there's always a easy way to deal with it or, or, or remedy to the situation. Um, you know, like for example, even when you run out of bombs and uh, ropes, there is always a route to the end of the stage that doesn't involve using anything. Uh, when you most times is that is it most not true times. every time? I think it's on rare occasions. I know Brandon Boyer posted the thing where he's being chased by a ghost, and he literally had no way of of getting out of a particular section. But I think I don't think hazards count on that. I had a a run recently where it, without using bombs, the only way out of the one particular section was into an area where there was two spikes and then a gap and I was hoping to maybe like go through the gap but no there's no way it was like you are going to land on these spikes no matter what and there was no way around that yeah. so 99% of the time there's a way out. <laughs> I, I think because it, like it's not 100% true random like there's there's procedural aspects to it but yeah sometimes it can happen rare occasions that there's, there's just no way. I mean, sometimes it'll happen that something pisses off the shopkeeper right away without you doing anything. You know, sometimes you'll hear an explosion halfway across the map because, you know, a bunch of things interacted and blew up. Like, all kinds of stuff happened just because of the, the generation, you know, the, the way the, the levels get put together. Pieces of a puzzle just sort of assembled and then just sort of go once you spawn into it. Yeah, that those are some of my favorite moments. I had one on a run a couple of days ago where uh, as soon as I entered into the stage... Um, a bunch of explosions went off, and all of a sudden I heard the do <laughs> which is like the the the, the noise that because uh, obviously I'm a maestro at, at replicating sound effects, but it's a sound effect that that illustrates uh, the entrance to the black market has been discovered. Oh wow! Um, so that happened on its own, <laughs> and yet I, I was so resource strapped that I was unable to find it um, or reach it. So it's like I know the black market door is here. I have all of this gold to spend, but no bombs or ropes to get me around to try and find the oh, door. But like, yeah, it's brutal. it's it was it was it was brutal that way. And like, it's actually funny <laughs> the the runs I've been doing on the site this week. Uh, the first couple of days were like the best runs. You know, I've only been playing the game as of today for a week, so I'm pretty early oh. in my spelunky process. But have had some pretty good success. I've you know I've made it all the way to at least Olmec. You know, I've made it to the mothership. Um, I've had some, I've had some really good runs for for having just kind of started the game uh, relative to how much time most people invest into to a game like Spelunky to, to get that far and then then yesterday like just nothing like just you know one <laughs> six feet in dead like move a block block falls down on me how did I not see that coming oh, oh yeah. jump into a plant trap my oh, I, I shouldn't have done that. I also have this nasty <laughs> habit of anytime the game offers me the teleporter, 
I take it, mm. which I know is stupid. Oh and, yeah. And Ma- Max Temkin uh, of, of Cards Against Humanity, he always texts me when I grab the teleporter. He's like, "Hey, you fucking idiot! What are you doing? Like, <laughs> put that teleporter down." And I'm like, "No, but it makes me mad with power. Like, the teleporter mm-hmm. is really fun. The way you can subvert the whole design of of the map because you no longer have to worry about." bombs and traps and platforming but also you yeah. know the, the, the problem with the teleporter is that you just cannot be it's tough to be aware of how it actually works there is a structure to the teleporter it is not random and i think uh i mentioned on one of the spelunky streams that zach gage um uh, the designer actually kind of worked out how the teleporter determines where it's going to plop you uh based on oh. when you use it and where you're at um but you're you're because Spelunky <laughs> is constantly pushing you along, and you know it's gonna spawn the ghost if you don't keep moving. You know the idea that you're gonna sit in Spelunky, figure out the math of where that teleport is gonna take you. Like that's just not that's just not gonna happen. Yeah, you just don't have the time for that kind of research, which is it's it's really hard because every time I've grabbed the teleporter and tried to use it, I've got okay. I, I think I know what the oh, oh well, I just went from the bottom of the map to the top of the map and died. Yeah, what the hell. So I'm hope I'm really hoping I'm really hoping my Spelunky run goes a lot better today. <laughs> and by that I mean I really hope that I get a teleporter because uh, <laughs> I I don't think I'll be able to resist taking it every single time the game offers it to me. I think that it's especially dumb when I do it during the daily challenge. That's just asking to yeah. just telefrag into to a piece of rock. But alas, uh, I've clearly been bitten by the Spelunky bug. I've been bitten by the Dark Souls bug. Uh, I've been really enjoying uh, both uh, of those games, but I'm curious, uh, you know, as we head towards, you know, the back half of this show, like, you know, you, you're known for, I get this call every day, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're still a, a designer, like, what, are you working on stuff now, like, you know, given the, the free time that you have, are you mostly just participating in game jams, I know you're wearing a uh, Toronto Global Game Jam shirt right now, like, what what is sort of your process right now, other than promoting I get this call every day? Honestly, my process has been pretty rough uh, lately, uh, just having to deal with, um, you know, money on my side. Oh, real life. Job. Real, yeah, real yeah, life. Yeah, that, oh, that bitch, real life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, game making has kind of been secondary. I've I've been toying around with some, some, some stuff. I uh, promised my wife Anna a game for her birthday, and then it was going to be her Christmas present. And I'm still working on it. <laughs> uh, then next birthday, so, next birthday, just you gotta you gotta tease yeah. out the the anxiety. I mean, do, do you find totally. that it, it sounds like uh, you know not to make it too personal, but that like you're you know a lot of the stresses of your personal life are making it difficult to be sort of comfortable with spending time being a designer. Like you know, a designer you know off you know similar to writing in certain respects, where it's a lot of false starts before you can move in a direction that you're happy with, but you have to allow yourself the time uh, to have those false starts. But, you know, during those false starts, you're not, you know, doing things that are earning you money or, or furthering your job prospects. And I, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that that sounds stressful. A lot of it is that, I mean, part of it too, is just that I'm, you know, I'm not used to doing this full time. You know, I know I've, I've had like a year to try and try and acclimate it, but even still like it's, um, it's not a process I've really managed to roll into. You know, mm. I'm always used to, 
having something else to occupy my time to sort of get me in that mode to really want me, you know, want to, to work on something new and fresh to, to be an alternative. You know, most of my best work, like when I was writing in college, most of my best work got done because I was trying to find some escape from class. You know, I get this call every day, became something that I could work on to escape from work. Now it's the thing I need to do. And, you know, mentally, it's just it's like a completely different paradigm for, hmm. for, for me to shift into. Um, so there's been some stuff like uh, I've got plans for an update to I get this call every day. Uh, I keep talking about the sequel, but the sequel's going to need money. And uh, I, I'm still trying to fulfill the backer rewards from my last crowdfunding effort. So I don't feel right starting another crowdfunding effort to fund a game until I get those done. And that could be a while. Uh, not sure if you're familiar, but with... Um, All of your songs Kid, that you're putting on YouTube, right? <laughs> not YouTube anymore. Uh, copyright uh, oh, violations right, sure. yes. are uh, a wonderful thing. So I'm going to hopefully not kill myself on, on server hosting and I'm putting them up on my own website. So I've got two videos out now. Um, I hope I didn't just offend a whole bunch of British people. Two, <laughs> two videos. Um uh, that's out of 62 potentially. It depends if, you know, 20 some odd people get back to me with the requests that they haven't given me. Um, but yeah, they're, they're going, it's happening. It's taken me a while. And, uh, they, you know, I've also got like 10 twine games and 20 portraits to do. So a lot to keep you that. busy. Yeah. Keep me busy with stuff that isn't making games too. Well, it's, and, it, so, and, and it seems like, yeah, like you, that that transition that you uh, you know you mentioned a little bit earlier that that seems really challenging. Like I imagine you know there, when you uh, were making games on the side, like it's easy to sort of uh, romanticize the idea of like what if I could do this all the time? Like wouldn't that oh, be totally. wouldn't that be so amazing? And then uh, that's, and then suddenly totally, confronted with yeah. the reality. <laughs> it's it's not what you imagine it to be at all. It's not like oh I'm just gonna I'm gonna sit down I'm gonna hammer this out and like I, I just spend days just like. Staring at my screen, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And then, you know, Twitter. It's The distractions are killer. There are so many distractions. Yeah. Like, I, I use a an application on... on uh, so, I use my PC for a lot of the video capture and things like this. And then I, uh, you know, I have a, a laptop that I use to, to write. And on, on my laptop, um, I have this application called uh, Write Room, which basically, it... It closes out everything on your on your desktop. It's just a black screen with some really dull typewriter-looking font, um, mm. so that you are focusing solely on the writing. You can get no notifications. There's no way to you know you can tab over to stuff like you can get out of it. It's not like you're locked into it, but it it functions really well because what ends up happening to me is when I need to like sit down and really like write out two thousand words. Is it's so easy to just click on that Twitter button and just waste two minutes scrolling through that stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that whole thing. And it's just, so it's when you have to do stuff like that, when you're starting sort of a creative process, it is incredibly difficult to not just use all of the distract, the easy, really wonderful, uh, often very useful, uh, distractions that are available to us. Um, yep. and that can be incredibly frustrating because they're very difficult habits to break and, and there aren't mm -hmm. good ways to break it. Indeed. And that's something that I'm trying to get a bit better at it. I'm, I'm getting there, but, uh, you know, I just haven't had much to show for it. 
uh, tons of promotional stuff. You know, like you said, I, I have been promoting the game, you know, getting it out on different marketplaces, um, submitting it to different places, you know, submitting it to Indiecade. Uh, it did actually get shown at Eurogamer Expo uh, last year in their Indie Games Arcade. Uh, you know, submitting it to the IGF, you know, that, that believe it or not, that that kind of stuff takes a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff you got to, you know, complete and a lot of paperwork and prepare and yeah. And, and answering questions from people and, and, and setups and stuff like that. Like I get this call every day still has this problem where people sometimes see the first screen and expect that it's supposed to be making a sound. So I get a lot of bug reports saying, Hey, I've got no sound in my game. It's like, no, I just, I kind of wrote that poorly, just, you know, <laughs> If you click through and through, like a lot of people, they just because they assume there's supposed to be sound, they just leave it at that and they don't try anything else. But literally, if you click through and you get into the game, you hear someone speaking for the first time. Hey, there's your sound. That's the first sound that happens in the game. That's one thing I'm going to fix in the update is just better, better messaging, better screen. Uh, thinking of um, giving you the ability to see other parts of the office while you're going through the conversation improve how it, it looks. Um, a lot of people ask for another call. No, they're not doing another call um, because that's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, and you got a lot, else, a lot on your plate. Um, I want to definitely throw to, uh, to the audience if you guys have any questions as we uh, begin to wrap the show up, uh, feel free mm -hmm. to toss them out to me in the chat room. I will... Uh, grab a couple from there, um, and then we will we will head towards the end of the show. Um, so, what are what are you doing? Uh, you know, like sort of right now, like the IGF stuff just passed. Um, yeah, like GD crying GD a little. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> your, your game did not get nominated, and that yeah. you know that that's you know the thing with those award shows is that you know lots of stuff does get nominated, lots of stuff doesn't. Um, so, I guess you know once you start to move on to the next thing, like, what is what is next for you? Are you are you coming out to, to GDC? Or are you going to uh, to anything else that that's on your schedule? Uh, honestly, Toronto Global Game Jam is like the only thing coming up on my schedule. Um, that that was kind of where my last game came out of Hemo Racers. It was it literally made the day before I got fired. Um, so. Toronto Global Game Jam is kind of a special place for me. A lot of good things have happened there. I really love the organizers. Uh, I love the whole feel of it, like especially because, you know, other sites are participating with you. And, you know, there's the radio station that sort of brings everyone together. I'm actually probably going to be DJing another set on uh, on the Global Game Jam radio this year again. Um, but other than that, like, can't afford GDC, can't afford uh, Indicate East, can't afford really to, to travel even into Toronto. Like I'm, I'm in the, the suburbs of Brampton and uh, except for Toronto global game jam, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck here. So moving forward is just going to be a lot of like working from home. You know, that update to, I get this call every day, that game for my wife, um, trying to work on something for Merit Copas's uh, naked twine jam, which is uh, happening this weekend, which is basically, uh, you know, Let's let's all make twine games, but let's not worry so much about messing with custom JavaScript or with the the CSS, because um, it's getting to the point where a lot of the twine games that get noticed are the ones that do you know funky code things or or have like a specific look or do something with the CSS. And it 
kind of kind of making... kind of getting into production values for Twine Gaze. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and and you know, it's great that Twine is a tool that can be something that you can add that extra oomph to. But um, you know, Merritt was just kind of looking at this as an opportunity to focus on storytelling and say, hey, let's you know, let's get people to write compelling stories instead of compelling interactions. Because um, you know, Twine's an interaction fiction platform and you know that's that's a good thing to have in interactive fiction is compelling storytelling mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm working on something for that um just something actually sort of reflective on what life has been like uh for the past year and uh and you know that's that's really about it you know uh supporting the people who were nominated like the yog that's freaking awesome uh, Damien Summer, who who wrote most of that game and uh, and and programmed it, is he's a wonderkind. He doesn't get enough respect as a game designer and developer because uh, most people probably never heard of of a lot of the stuff that he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, been playing a lot of his card game. Actually, he made a card game called Without Question, which is a social game of. Uh, putting rules in front of people like having to put your hand behind your back or speak in a funny accent and, uh, or wear something on your, your body. That's not clothing or beatbox when you're not talking. And, uh, in a social situation, having all these rules stacked on you can, can lead to some pretty weird scenarios and, and some pretty funny stuff. And, uh, he, he needs to get that out there. That's an awesome game that he's, that he's made. Uh, um, Raptors Revenge in the chat um, is, is curious. Uh, he, a lot of folks are kind of, you know, when we talked about green lights, there's some questions about Steam and stuff like that. I'm curious as someone that, you know, you know, you're exploring Steam, seeing what's possible there. Like, what do you make of all the early access stuff? Um, it's something that came up when, when Giant Bomb is having its uh, Game of the Year uh, sort of deliberations. And one of our categories is sort of like establishing... Uh, or highlighting trends that you know we think are maybe troublesome or need a closer look in in the next year. One that we considered but that dropped was uh, the idea of early access, and so how how much of a rise it has had in like the last six to eight months, where you know you cannot go to the front page of Steam without it feeling like it's dominated by a lot of these early access games. And so I guess both as a as a funding model, as a development model, and and sort of what it means for the relationship between sort of the, the the developer and the consumer like what, what is your impression of early access it's it's tough for me to say I, I don't own a lot of any actually early access games on Steam itself but I mean it's essentially alpha access I mean I bought minecraft when it was well I guess I bought it in beta not alpha but still like same concept it you wasn't know, one point an unfinished game yeah exactly like it was slightly more expensive than the first time it was for sale, whatever the case. But like, A, as a developer, it it's kind of uh, heartening to see that that kind of thing is possible because funding is a problem, you know? Having, having money to make your game can be really difficult sometimes, and the idea of putting something a bit more prototypical out there to sort of fund the the further stages of development, sort of get that last push to go on, um, is something that's really heartening. Something that is like, hey, this could do well. As long as you have something good to show, then you might actually be able to overcome a lack of funds come to the end of the game. From a customer perspective, it's it's a bit ridiculous. Like it's, you know, just like your discussion during game of the year, it's sometimes hard to tell what exactly early access means on a game-to-game basis. I know Steam does have the 
does have the information there that the developer can fill in, but it, it's still kind of hard to know what exactly you're going to get mm -hmm. because, you know, let's be honest, it's early access now. You don't necessarily know what it's going to be when it's done. And are you still going to want that thing when it's done? Like, you know, Minecraft, Minecraft has gotten tons of updates and I've kind of dropped off of it. You know, I, I kind of got my fill when we played it early and, and coming back to it, even with the new features, still kind of feels like more of the same. So I'm a bit burned out on it. And, I'm, you know, that, that could easily happen with a lot of early access games. Yeah, I, th I think, I think, yeah, I th I think one of the things that's interesting is the early access, I think, is a misleading term. I think if, if anything, I have a problem with the term early access because it, it kind of makes it sound like, hey, the game's done. Do you want to play it early? Right, like I, I feel like that's yeah. kind of what that term implies on, on a certain level. Whereas, what you're really getting is, hey, do you want to jump into this game midstream, see how the development process goes, possibly influence it, possibly not, um, mm. and pay for the the right to do that. Uh, I think it's healthy for people to have a better understanding of how games are made because I think that leads to a lot of the tension between consumers and players is just not knowing why decisions were made, how things got the way they were because they just see a finished product or what is considered a finished product uh, as opposed to the path along the way. But early access, you know, that term, you know, I, I just feel like maybe it's a, it's a little bit misleading because it, it is early access to the game. But it's like early access to the development process, not really to the game yeah. that you would pay for. It's it, it feels more like a marketing term than than something that's a bit more honest. And and yeah, like look at Starbound, you know, look at the fact that Starbound has had like, what, three character resets since it came out and yet has sold over a million copies. Yeah, like, I don't know, as, as a consumer that that would worry me like that's a game that I'll wait for as opposed to getting it on early access. Um, but it, 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 obviously it varies game to game. You know, it's, it, it could be right for some games. Uh, narrative games probably shouldn't do early access. It kind of worries me that, you know, broken age is, is going to be early access. If I remember correctly. Yeah. At least, at least with broken age, uh, I believe the way that early access is being broken down is, is, Part one is being released as part of early access, and so part one will be done, and then yeah, like if so and, that's and that's, that's even that's even weirder. Right? That's an even stranger approach, like because that's actually what we're like when we when you when you think about the term early access or how you know without if you were to you know take me two years back and ask me what I thought early access meant, like broken age is what I would think that meant. Which like is episodic, like, yeah, you know. like you're getting access to part one of part two. Like you get early access <laughs> to the game that will eventually be one product, um, but is right now being split up, you know, for funding wow. purposes. Which you know that's its own story. But yeah, it's it's a it's a really complicated question. I I think I don't. I just you know I have trouble. So I'm two minds of it. One, I have trouble feeling bad for people that jump in and get burned because it's like you know what you're getting into. Do your research. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're getting into a beta or alpha access of a game. It's going to be broken. There are going to be resets. Um, not that you shouldn't criticize or complain if you have rightful, you know, uh, critiques. But you know what you're getting into. You're getting into something that's going to be messy. Like, and also, like video games, uh, especially consoles, have done a such a poor job of explaining what a beta is. Because often, what betas are on a console is 
early access to a stress test of servers for multiplayer games, yep. which is not what a beta is. Like that's you know most games when they are in alpha and beta are are completely broken um, and mm-hmm. and are are use are in that phase to get towards a, a state of completion. Whereas a lot of console betas have actually just been about stress testing servers. Um, but I think a lot of this could potentially be averted if, for example, uh, Steam really has <clears throat> no no way for you to, to get your money back. Um, and there's, there's ripe for abuse uh, with something like that, but if you're going to offer people into things like early access, it seems like alongside that should be if a developer is disingenuous, if a developer doesn't deliver on their promises there should be options for the consumer if they're they're paying money for that um now -hmm. structuring those policies is really difficult with digital content um so i you know it's easy for me to say that without actually you know creating those policies and how that would work um but in general you know i'm i'm definitely for consumers having a little more rights over uh their ability to return digital items in in some fashion even if it's as simple as putting it up on a marketplace for another Steam user to buy as opposed to getting a full refund. Uh, you know, I, mm. I would be okay with something like that so that it still stays within Steam, um, but that maybe the user gets an opportunity to kind of shuffle something away and, and buy something else in that ecosystem. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a complicated question. I mean, we've, we've seen Steam sort of handle it on a case-by-case basis with stuff like, um, like Ashes Cricket, um, there was that other. Oh, I'm trying to remember the third person game that just kind of ended at a screen of text. Uh, oh yeah, I, yeah, I, I know what game you're talking about. Yeah, that happened like in the last couple of months. Yeah, and, and so like you know, there because there were certain issues with specific products that were disingenuous. Steam kind of handled that, but they they don't like their policy is basically like, I don't know. We'll look at it. We'll see. Right. We'll make a call. You know, it's essentially the same policy they have with Greenlight. It's like. Yeah, I vote yes for it, but you know we'll see. We'll we'll make a call. We'll we'll pick some. All right. Well, David, it has been a pleasure to have you on Bombing the Am with Scoops and the Wolf. Even if we had to be, you know, you had to try out for the Wolf. You know, we'll get back to you. I don't <laughs> I don't know how it's gonna go. It's got to go to a committee. Uh, you have to get. Yeah, actually, there's a whole green light process to become the Wolf. So uh, you're now involved so, so, in two green light processes to oh, figure God. that. I know. I yeah, I probably should have warned you about all this up front um but for comments on this are going to be great (laughs) but for for folks that want to uh follow you and your work uh where can they do that so why don't don't we do a little self-pimping before we uh before we we head out certainly uh twitter is at david s gallant uh website davidsgallant.com uh pretty soon there's going to be a portal for my music videos which are me doing horrible renditions of songs that were requested of me by my IndieCade backers. Um, if you want to see me sing, go there. Um, and yes, there's also my page on giantbomb.com. Awesome. Well, I'm also not going to apologize because I introduced you as Gallant, and I don't know why I did that. Nah, everyone gets my name wrong. Okay. All right. Hey, hey, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> Klepek, Patrick Klepek. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No one ever says my name correctly. Yeah, no, yeah. No one, no one ever gets that. So, so at least you know, I'm just repaying it back. That's what I'll say. I'm, I'm paying it forward for yeah. all the times that uh, I have gotten my name uh, said wrong as well. <laughs> uh, but David, thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime. Uh, make sure and follow him if you are interested in his work. 
Uh, and David, uh, we'll chat again soon. And uh, good luck with everything uh, in the future. And uh, hope you're able to land your feet and find some creative inspiration in the near future. Thank you. And let me just say, ow! See, see? Oh, you just, you're going to do good in the voting process. <laughs>